very difficult situation had had come across some really challenging circumstances, and you want to do the right thing, you want to please God, you want to do what is is consistent with His Word, but you find yourself just saying, "I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to handle this." So I think we can all relate to that feeling to some degree. Maybe you've tried and tried and tried to properly address a situation. You've not been able to resolve the problem. Maybe you've cried out in desperation, I've done everything I know to do, and I just don't know what to do anymore. Perhaps you've said this in the context of raising children, uh, intense marital relationships, stressful working conditions you found yourself in, difficulties with neighbors, fighting illness, times of fear, times of anxiety, times of depression, It's a question that I often get when I sit down with someone in counseling out of desperation that they say, I just don't know what to do. I've tried everything I know to do, and it seems that nothing has worked. I just don't know what to do. So I want to attempt to answer that question this evening, and I'll warn you in advance, there's nothing profound about the answer that I'm going to give you In fact, if I took a poll before the message and said, give me the top five things you would tell someone to do when they don't know what to do, you'd probably hit every single thing that I'm going to mention in my message tonight. But I I just want to take us back to the Word of God and look at a couple of examples from the the lives of two very godly men, Elisha and Elijah, about how they dealt with a situation where they maybe, especially Elisha here, wasn't quite sure what to do. So, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, we'll start. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8, it says, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great widow, or a great woman. And uh, she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was, that as oft as she passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be that when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell in a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken of to the king or to the captains of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child. And her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou art thou man of God. Do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell, it fell on a day that he went out with his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said unto the lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to the servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. 
Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi uh, came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for, she, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. Uh, if thou meet any man, salute him not. Um, if any salute thee, answer him not, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. And when Elisha was come to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she was come unto him, he said, take up thy, take up thy son. And then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Interesting story. I know that's a story that's familiar to probably most all of us here. Some very interesting things transpired there, and we'll look at them in a little bit more detail here. But let's pray and ask God's blessing and for him to speak to us as we look at his word uh, this evening. Father, thank you for this place that you have set aside here on Columbia Road that we can gather uh, throughout the week, every week, to open up your word, uh, to be challenged by it, to be spoken to through the Holy Spirit, uh, through your word. And so, Lord, teach us tonight. Uh, there's no new amazing truth that we're going to learn tonight that we've not known of before. But, Father, remind us again, fresh and anew, that when we don't know what to do, we have someone that we can go to who does know what to do. And so, Lord, help us not to operate as if everything depends upon us, but that it depends upon you, your wisdom, your strength, the ability, as we sang earlier, to trust and obey because there is no other way. So, Father, speak to us tonight. Help us. There may be someone here that even today has cried out to you, Lord, I don't know what to do. And so, Lord, show them what they need to do, the next step that they need to take by faith, simply trusting you. Father, bless our time as we look at this in more detail this evening. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So Elisha, as you can see from the text, was a prophet of God. Um, in fact, in verse 9, if you look back at uh, uh, what the Shunammite had to say, she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. And so he was a holy man of God. He trained initially under another prophet of God, which was Elijah. We'll look at a little bit of Elijah's life here shortly. But eventually the mantle was passed from Elijah to Elisha. Remember when Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit? And uh, Elijah wasn't sure that that was something that he had the authority or the ability to grant. But uh, Elisha had submitted himself to another man of God. He served him. He learned of him, he spent time with him, and God taught him many valuable lessons that would help Elisha when the mantle was eventually passed to him to be able to carry on the work that God was leading him to do. Imagine again, just training under such a man as Elijah. The stories that Elijah must have shared with Elisha, uh, firsthand accounts of how Elijah was fed 
by the ravens in the wilderness, day and night, and how uh, when that ran out, when the brook dried up, that he went to the, the widow at Zarephath and her son, and imagine him telling the story of her preparing to make their very last meal with the last bit of oil and the last bit of um, bread, flour that they have. They were going to make that meal and, and then die out of starvation. And uh, went on to tell about how the, uh, the meal never wasted away and the oil never wasted away, that there was always enough there. And um, how from there he had prayed that no rain would come, and no rain came for years. And then how he went to the um, challenge of the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal, and, and uh, poured water in the midst of that great drought upon the uh, sacrifice that was being offered, and did it twice, and called down fire from heaven, and it got rid of it. I mean, just imagine sitting there, maybe around a campfire at night, after a day of ministry, and Elijah starts talking about some of the great things that he had witnessed that God had done. And uh, what an amazing opportunity Elisha had to learn from such a great man. And as I thought about that, I guess the question is, do you have people like that in your life? Are there people like that in your life that you can just sit and listen to them, serve them, serve with them, submit yourself to them, learn of them, and just listen to the stories of God's goodness and grace. What an encouragement here, Sandy, who has been through a challenging year, to say, praise God for his presence, his mercy, his blessing. And uh, I'm sure she has a lot of specifics that she could share along with that. But all of us like that. Do you have people like that in your life? Elisha gleaned some great principles by humbly submitting himself to Elijah, listening, learning, watching, serving. That's important for us to do as believers. Well, let's look at this passage in a little bit more detail. <coughs> Excuse me. First Kings 4. First off, we have the care of the Shunammite woman, the care of, of this woman. Verse 8 says, It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunam. There was a great woman, and she, she constrained him to eat bread. And um, not really sure exactly what great means there. Some have implied as you, as you look at that word, that maybe she was large, like tall. Um, it probably has less to do with uh, how she was morally uh, as opposed to speaking of the substance that she had. But it's clear as you read this and, and you hear uh, the heart that she had for God's man, hospitality, friendship, uh, wanting to build a place for him when he came by so that he would have a, a place of refuge, a place of solace, a place to sleep, that she was a woman that was moral and upright and righteous, that loved God. And as soon as she uh, got the, the sense and the feeling that this was a holy man of God, uh, she was all in. She was all in and doing everything she could to be a blessing, to be a help, to be an encouragement. And it seems as if she took the lead in this, you know, her husband was older from what we read here, but uh, uh, she took the lead and they engaged together in trying to be a help and a blessing. So, but Elisha ultimately accepts the kindness that was shown by this woman and, and certainly a close bond of friendship began to develop between him and this family, this woman and her husband. Again, it reminded me a little bit of, I had the privilege of taking Paul after the missions conference down to Hinkley on Monday. And uh, I had heard about the Perkins family, and I, I assumed that they were just another part of Grace Baptist in Brunswick that, uh, you know, Paul is also very close with that church. And so I was asking him about that, and he said, no, years ago, this man had got a burn for Haiti, and he came down to Haiti to help build churches. And so I, I developed a friendship with him as he was coming and, and giving his substance to build churches in Haiti and him and Paul struck up a friendship, and that friendship has carried on uh, for many years. So now Paul, when he comes up here, he always has a home there in Hinkley to spend with the Perkins family, and they have a, a place set up for him, and so that's where he was going for the week after our missions conference because, again, this family had been such a blessing to him over the years. So they developed this friendship, and as a result, she, had, she left an open invitation 
to Elisha that whenever he passed by this way, whenever you're out doing ministry and you're traveling in this area, you always have a place here. You have a meal, you have a friendly smile, you have care, and even so much so that they decided to build this little chamber, which, by the way, when we also refer to the haven, our mission's house up there, as a what? A prophet's chamber, and that's where that term comes from, a place of refuge, a place to get away, a place of safety, a place where they can have peace and quiet, a place where they can study and read and rest. And that's exactly what uh, they did for Elisha. And so whenever he's traveling, he knew he had a place to go. And that's a, that takes such a burden off of someone. Again, think about these times when it wasn't safe to travel at night, when you don't want to be out on the road because of robbers or uh, wild animals or whatever it may be. And so it was an encouraging fellowship, and it was a great blessing. And, and clearly, Elisha was blessed so much that he had, he had a desire to pass on that blessing, to bless the Shunammite woman and her family. And so we see that in, in verse 11. It says, And it fell on a day that he came thither. He turned into the chamber, and he lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, that thou hast, thou hast been careful with us, uh, with all this care, what is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for the king or the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So over time, Elisha was very much moved with her friendship, with her compassion, with, with her mercy, with her sacrifice. And he wanted to do something kind for her. He wanted to bless her. Perhaps he, she needed some legal advice. Or maybe some sort of political favor that he could use his influence with the king to secure for her. Maybe she needed, because her husband was older and, and, and they had property and, you know, again, life is always somewhat dangerous. Maybe she needed a special military guard from the army to protect her. And so he, he floats up a couple of different ideas before her, but she humbly refused all of those, uh, which concluded... Uh, again, as I read this, that uh, she and her family had close family nearby. She had essentially everything that she needed. But it also showed that her motives in serving Elisha were pure. She wasn't trying to get something out of this. She wasn't trying to, to, to garner some sort of favor that she could use at the right time to get something that she needed. No, she, her, her motives was pure. She wanted to honor God's man. And so she very humbly set out to do that. There was no manipulation to get something from this man of incredible power and influence. And so Elisha desired to bless her. She humbly refused. But Elisha persists in his desire to bless her. In verse 14, it says, um, and he said, speaking to Gehazi, what, uh, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And so he mentioned that this woman was childless, and that meant something back then. I mean, it meant a lot back then. It was um, scorn. She became an object of scorn and of shame if she was unable to bear children. Uh, people would look down on her. And Elisha understood that. And again, he wanted as much as he could to find some way to bless her. So he calls her into his presence again. And uh, he says, uh, when, she, when he had called her, she stood at the door, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. So in essence, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, uh, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. I don't think she was being disrespectful here. I think she was just acknowledging the reality of her situation. I mean, her husband was older, um, past, again, we've heard this story similarly before, past the time of being able to bear children, and uh, she had learned to deal with the scorn. She wasn't complaining about it. That wasn't something she asked for when, when uh, Elisha kind of gave her the open door, you know, blank check, whatever you want, I'll do whatever I can to make that happen. No, Elisha brings this up to her, and at first she's taken back by it, and um, Nonetheless, Elisha pronounces this, and it says in verse 17, And the woman conceived and bare a son at the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. 
So Elisha persisted in his desire to bless her, and the woman gets pregnant and has a child, uh, just as Elisha said she would. But something very tragic happens. It says, when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out with his fathers to the reapers. Now, when it talks about grown here, it doesn't mean he was a grown adult, a grown man. He was no longer an infant. He had gotten older, old enough to go out with his dad and tag along as they went out to the, the harvest fields. And, and some sort of illness was, um, uh, came upon him when he was out there. Some say it was maybe heat stroke because the heat was so strong and powerful and he was overcome. But, I mean, it was serious enough where he cried out, My head, my head, verse 19. And he said uh, to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat her on her, on her knees until noon, and then he died. How tragic. This woman who was fearful to uh, ask for anything like a son, and now God had blessed her with the son, but now the son is dead. Again, just imagine the roller coaster of emotions that she went through over the last couple of years, and now this horrible event takes place. And in her older age, God blessed her, but now the son has died. So what is her response? The Shunammite's response. Uh, verse 21, it says, She went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. And she called her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men, one of the asses that may run uh, to the man of God and come again. So apparently, she didn't tell anybody what had happened. Her husband obviously knew that there was some sort of illness going on, and when it was when she was aware that he had passed, she took him up to Elisha's chamber, laid him on the bed and shut the door, and said essentially to herself, I need to get to the man of God. She did not tell her husband that her son had passed away. And uh, it's hard to know exactly what's going on in her mind, but you're starting to see some pretty amazing, some pretty persistent faith become very apparent in this woman. She called her husband and said, I, I need you to get me a servant. I need you to get one of the asses, and I'm going to go to see the man of God. And that really perplexed him because he's saying, you know, it's not a time or one of the feasts. It's not the new moon. It's not the time of Sabbath. I'm not sure why you need to go to the man of God. You know, can't we just wait till he comes by here on his normal circuit? But um, he, she assured him that uh, she needed to go see him. And so they got out, got the servant, they got the ass, and uh, she tells the servant, drive and go forward. Slack not thy writing for, for me, except I bid thee. He's like, let's go. Let's not hold back. Let's keep a, a strong pace. And unless I tell you to slow down, let's just get there. We need to get to the man of God. So that was the response. And so again, we begin to see her persistent faith. And so verse 25, it says, so she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the, chi with the child? And interestingly enough, as Gehazi makes that run and intercepts her before she was able to get to the man of God, and he asks her those questions, she says, It is well. Her son's dead, laying in a room, and she's making this all-out effort to get to the man of God, and her response is, it is well. Again, we see a woman here with great persistent faith. I don't know that she knew exactly what was going to happen, but she knew who to go to, and she knew that, that the God that, that uh, she served, the God that Elisha served, could do anything, and she had to get to him. So the response to Gehazi, I need to share this with Elisha, it tells the servant it as well. Verse 27, and when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by his feet. So she falls down at his feet. Gehazi comes near and to thrust her away. The man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. And then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did, not, did I not say, do not deceive me? And now Elisha's starting to get the picture of what's going on. 
And so he sends Gehazi before them, and he gives, gives him his um, staff. And he says, when you get to the, the, the boy, I want you to lay my staff upon him, and I want you to go. I mean, don't let anything stop you. Don't, don't pause if you run across someone in the highway to, to be greeted or to give a greeting. Just go. Make haste. And uh, so Gehazi leaves out and heads out on that mission. But the Shunammite wouldn't go with him. Verse 30 says, And the mother of the child said, <coughs> Excuse me. As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. Uh, we're going together. And you need to come with me. And we need to get back to my son, O man of God. Essentially is what she's saying there. And so, verse 31, Gehazi passed on before them, laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore, he went again to meet him, Elisha, and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. Elisha, he's still dead. I did what you told me to do. Uh, The child is still dead. So what is Elisha going to do? You can imagine, because Elisha was just a man like we're just men and women in this room here tonight. As he was going with this Shunammite back to Shunem, I'm certain he was praying. Lord, I don't know what is going on here, why this has been allowed to happen, uh, what you're trying to accomplish here. But Lord, if there be any way, if it be your will, raise this, this boy back up. Uh, help us to trust you and your purpose and what you're wanting to accomplish. I mean, you can imagine because he was a man of God. He was praying to God saying, God, what what should I do in this situation? Maybe he was saying, I've never raised a dead person to life again. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this situation. Verse 32, what is Elisha going to do? When Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them, twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Anyone find that story a little interesting there? Um, I mean, what ever gave Elisha the idea that I'm going to lay prostrate on top of this child and I'm going to put my eyes by his and my mouth by his and my hands by his and I'm going to let my, the warmth of my body transfer from me to this lifeless dead child. What ever led him to even consider that idea? Perhaps it was in that moment, as he was traveling with the Shunammite back to her home, and he was praying to God, perhaps Elisha remembered some of the things that his former master, Elijah, had shared with him. The great victories where God showed up in an amazing way, in a miraculous way, and performed some incredible miracles. Perhaps he remembered the story of Elijah. And again, I'm sure if you're, because Elijah was a man, just like Elisha was a man, Elijah had to have loved to tell the story of how after God had sustained them at the widow's Zarephath's house all that time through the oil and, and, and the meal, only to have that boy die, Elijah saw God do an amazing miracle. In fact, let's look at that real quick. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17 and verse 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things, so these things were the feeding, the, you know, the constant, the oil and, and, and the flour not, not running dry, but being sustained by uh, by that barrel of meal and that cruise of oil. It says, after, came to, after these things came to, and it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman 
the mistress of the house fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. So after God had miraculously preserved them through famine and and again in a miraculous way, this boy dies. Verse 18, she said unto Elijah, "What What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him into a loft where he abode, and he laid him on his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. And definitely amen to that. Can you imagine sitting around a campfire when Elisha was training under Elijah? And Elijah says, hey, did I ever tell you about the time that God rose this boy to life again that was dead? I mean, he had to heard that story over and over and over again as part of his learning, as part of his preparation. Not because Elijah was bragging on what God uh, did through him, but it was what God did. And so you have to think when Elisha gets word that a young boy has died, that God, the fact that this woman, the Shunammite woman, even got pregnant at this point through her aged husband, and this child was given, because God had told Elisha to, to share that with her, that he's thinking, Lord, how are, we, how are you going to deal with this situation? You have to think, at least my mind takes me to exactly what stories he heard from Elijah. And so... He gets to the house. He goes up to the chamber. The child is lying there dead in Elisha's bed. And again, we read the story. He lays down upon top of this child after he had prayed. And um, body heat transfers. The child is still dead. He gets up. He walks to and fro. Again, I guarantee you he's praying, Lord, you know, raise this boy to life again. If that be your will, do, you know, show yourself miraculous here. Do something amazing here, Lord. I'm trusting you. I don't understand what's going on here, but Lord, I trust you. If it be your will, raise him up again. And so he gets back and, and does this same process again. And the boy sneezed seven times and his life was restored. What an amazing story. What an amazing story. The child is miraculously Revived to life again. The one that was dead is now alive. Isn't God amazing? (laughs) Isn't God amazing? So here's the application. Excuse me. When you don't know what to do. Again, you see it. Pray. (laughs) When you don't know what to do, pray. Nothing earth shattering about that. We know what we should do. We know who we should go to. And um, that's what we need to do. So we pray. James 5.16. Again, a few verses that uh, we're all familiar with. Some of you could probably recite that verse right there from memory. It's a great verse to have hidden in your heart. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's one of the reasons why we call this prayer night. Um, We're going to open the prayer sheet here shortly, and we're going to pray. And um, pray one for another, because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That was Elisha. That was Elijah. I'm convinced that that is many in this room here tonight. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When we don't know what to do, pray. 
Ephesians 6.18, part of the armor of God when we're going against a very powerful enemy and we're challenged and commanded every day to put on this armor. At the very end of that, after we put on all these elements of the armor, Paul says to the church there, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching there too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So praying always. Again, we have to be in that constant spirit of prayer. When we don't know what to do, pray. Luke 18, in verse 1. Luke 18, 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not give up, not thinking... Prayer's not going to do anything. I need to get involved. I need to do something. No. We pray. And so men ought always to pray and not to faint. So we pray. When we don't know what to do, we pray. Secondly, we fast. We fast. Kind of a lost word. We don't talk a whole lot about that anymore. Again, I know people in this room regularly fast. And that encourages me. Part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 16, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites, have a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, verily, I say unto you, they have your reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anointeth thy head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Um, people in here that fast, you don't know they fast because they don't let you know that they fast. They're not trying to get your praise or your honor or your attention. They're doing what they feel, what the word of God commands us to do, to purify ourselves, to hear from God, to, again, in, in the context of what I'm saying here, when we, when we don't know what to do, fast. Deny yourself. Some of the regular food that you're normally taking and get alone and get quiet and listen for what God wants to tell you. So, pray, fast. Can I tell you, keep praying. Keep praying. Um, Sounds repetitive, but uh, don't give up. Don't faint. Keep praying. Uh, Humble yourself and ask others to pray with you. To pray for you. Uh, if there's something really challenging you, it's not a sign of weakness to say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Uh, would you pray with me? Would you help me? Would you take me up before the throne of grace and ask God to intervene, to help me know what to do in this situation, to help me find victory, to help me to resist, all those sort of things. So don't be too, too timid or too embarrassed to acknowledge your struggles Brothers and sisters in Christ want to help. They want to carry and bear one another's burdens. Do you want to do that? I hope so. I think most of you in here do. So pray, fast, keep praying. Number four, keep doing what you know is the right thing to do. Keep doing what you know is the right thing to do. Rehearse in your mind what you know to be true. Again, there are different times when we're asking crying out to the Lord because we don't know what to do. Sometimes it's because we're in some really painful, really severe circumstances and our faith is tested and tried. The enemy is trying to get us to doubt God, to trust in ourselves, to convince us that God's turned his back on us. Rehearse what you know to be true. Again, you've heard me say often, remember your theology, remember what you believe, especially when things get confusing and difficult. Remember what you believe and rehearse that back to yourself and say I may be feeling this but here's what I know to be true in the word of God a verse that you can stand on by faith rehearse the promises of God that apply to your situation if the devil is saying God has turned his back on you the truth is he'll never leave me nor forsake me he's always there with me there's no way I can ever no place I can ever go to get away from him Hold on to, stand firm on biblical truths, principles, etc. that you know are unfailing. Hold on to those. Stand on those. 
And then the last thing here, keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Proverbs 3, again, this is another verse that many of us have uh, hidden in our hearts. It's been posted on our hallway in big letters, probably two feet tall by two feet wide by uh, at least for a couple of decades now. It's one of those things I wanted my kids to see every day as they got up and began moving about the house. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. So again, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Job 13, 15. Job 13, 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. And then Isaiah 26, 4. Again, these are, if you're writing these down, these are verses, and I say rehearse what you know to be true, verses that you can run to in the midst of that thought of, I just, I don't know what to do. Isaiah 26 and verse 4. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust ye in the Lord forever. So I wanted, I tried to think of an illustration, and I know some of you have heard this before uh, in, in my life where I didn't know what to do. And um, here's a disclaimer. I'm glad, um, I'm glad Kyle and Michaela are here. But please do not take this as targeted toward you. I'm, I'm thrilled that just in weeks now you're getting married, right? Praise God. I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do in your young lives. Uh, many of you know Tyler was raised in, in our church. And uh, Tyler had a girlfriend. Her name was Ashley. They met in high school. Her dad was a pastor in LaGrange, Ohio. And uh, Tyler grew up in this church. After going to a few years of community college, Tyler enlisted in the Air Force and left for San Antonio, Lackland Air Force Base. That would have been in December of 2011, I think that is, maybe 12. It all kind of runs together. <laughs> and uh, before he left for basic training, he proposed to Ashley. She said yes. We were thrilled. She's a great young lady. And um, they had set a wedding date for the following summer, July, August, something like that. And so we were thrilled about that, began to plan the wedding. And uh, so we went to Tyler's graduation in February, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. He graduated from basic training, and it was just fabulous. Ashley was there, her parents came, and Abby and Corey were both able to go with us. And so we come back home, and Tyler stayed at Lackland for another couple of uh, month or month and a half to do his first tech school, which was preparing him to fly on the AC-130. So he was earning his wings as air crew on the gunship. And so he was going, he was going to graduate like six weeks after basic training, and there was a big ceremony to pin his wings on. So it, it came, again, many of you know the story, but the... Uh, Tyler called us up a few weeks before, before that graduation, and he said, Ashley and I have been talking, and we have decided that since you're coming down here to pin my wings on and Ashley's coming too, that we're just going to go, go ahead and get married when we're here in San Antonio. And that would have been the end of March. So about a, it was about a month after he had graduated. And um, that did not sit very well with Dad. Not that we had anything against Ashley. She was a great, she was a great young lady. But um, Ashley had been in her church that her dad pastored her entire life. Tyler had been in this church his entire life. Uh, many of you in this room had Tyler in your Sunday school class and um, helped raise him, invested your lives in him. And um, 
for me, that marriage ceremony was a celebration of her church family and our church family of what God had done to these two um, kids. And to uh, get married without the benefit of our, our churches being involved, I thought was not right. And not only that, I was convinced that um, God's will is not just a matter of who, but it's also a matter of when. And um, all these things together made, made me very upset that, um, that this was kind of the direction they wanted to go with their wedding. And uh, things got very tense. I didn't know what to do. I got angry. I got heated in some of my discussions. I, my voice was raised. I eventually um, kind of wrestled with, do I even go? You know, do I, do I kind of make a stand and say, you know, if you're going to go forward with this, which, again, I, as you can tell, I thought was kind of foolish, that, um, that you're going to have to do it without me. That's how tense it was. And uh, I began to really pray because I didn't know what to do here. I asked others to pray. Pastor Jenkins was still pastoring. I asked him to pray during that time. Some other close friends, I began to fast. Yeah, I met with Ashley's father, and we prayed together. He did not share the same concerns I had, but uh, again, okay with that. But, but clearly, our relationship was very strained. In fact, it was in jeopardy of being permanently damaged. And um, through the course of praying and fasting, and getting into God's word and looking for some promises, the Lord impressed upon me that the relationship that I had with my son and future daughter-in-law was more important than me being right. That was a big lesson for me. I had to give up my right to be right to preserve the relationship. And that's what the Lord showed me when I didn't want to do. And so Chris and I called and, you know, Chris is right there with me. It wasn't just me. I mean, she was right. We were in, in the same place in this. But we talked about it. We prayed about it together. And finally, we decided our relationship is more important than being right about the date of a wedding. And so we called Tyler and Ashley back up and said, we're sorry for how angry we got. Uh, I think we both... Uh, we're sinfully angry, and so we need to confess that to you and ask for your forgiveness. And we have made a decision that if, if you feel this is what the Lord wants you to do at the end of March, um, then we'll be there, and we'll support you the best way that we know how to. And that was it. And so Chris and I flew down to San Antonio, and uh, Chris pinned his wings on that morning and that night. Tyler and Ashley got married, and um, it was a good ceremony. Uh, her father and I, Ashley's father and I, shared the ceremony, and uh, so they got married that night, and Tyler flew off to Washington for like two months for a, a, uh, another military training class the next day. And so I look back at that, and uh, 10 years later, 11 years later, whatever it is, uh, I don't know if I was right or not in that situation. God has blessed them. They have built a strong marriage. They have been phenomenal parents to my three grandchildren. Uh, God, they have been involved in every church that uh, they have gotten involved with. Tyler in, the, in Oklahoma City, he realized that uh, while he was here growing up, he had just gone through the motions, he had, and he had not really been born again. So he got saved in Oklahoma City. Um, Got baptized there with under uh, Pastor uh, Sean Nichols, a good friend of mine that I met in Houston when we did pastor's training schools, who was Tyler's pastor for a couple years there. And um, again, I share that testimony because when I didn't know what to do, I prayed, I fasted, I prayed some more, I got others to pray, 
I got into God's word. The Lord spoke to me, and I just trusted him. And now, can I tell you, we have a phenomenal relationship. There is no division whatsoever between Tyler and Ashley and Chris and I. In fact, it is a great, solid relationship. And now they say, if my kids ever do that to us, <laughs> we'll kill them. No, they realized that, again, I, and I don't know how the Lord exactly was working there. That may have been the Lord in it. Tyler was 19, she was 20. That could have been how the Lord was working. It sure appears as if that was the case. But uh, they are in some ways ashamed of the pain that they caused us during that very stressful time. And uh, as they've matured, uh, they realize that uh, that was a pretty big deal, the decision that they made that seemingly was, you know, not completely thought through. But again, the Lord was in it. And I thank the Lord that... uh, he led me to make the wise decision to invest in the relationship and not cause irrevocable damage to that relationship and strain. That's there. So, amen? That's, so let me ask you. We usually have a time of discussion. Does anyone have a, a testimony, maybe could be completely different from what I just shared, where God directed you how to handle a situation that you just went into it having no idea how to handle it. You, you found yourself saying, Lord, I don't know what to do here. And so I'm coming to you asking for help. Anybody have anything the Lord taught them, Ron? Yeah, that's good. That's a good good example. Larry.